Welcome to the Data Stack Show. Each week, we explore the world of data by talking to the people shaping its future. You'll learn about new data technology and trends and how data teams and processes are run at top companies. The Data Stack Show is brought to you by Rudderstack, the CDP for developers. You can learn more at rudderstack.com. Welcome to the Data Stack Show. Today, we are going to talk with Nick from Transform Costas. You and I have actually chatted offline a whole lot about this company and the concept in general. They they build a tool that does metric store. Metrics layer is also a really common term, uh, you know, for what they do. DBT kind of has used that terminology as well. And so my burning question for Nick is actually just defining the metrics layer. It's a concept that sounds great, but it's one of those terms that we run across all the time on the show where if I asked you to define that, it, it's probably kind of hard just because the term is a little bit ambiguous in terms of what does that mean for me day to day as someone who works with data? What are your thoughts? 100%. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you. And we definitely have to spend some time in box. I really want to go through like also a bit of like the history behind this technology because, okay, we start hearing about all these variations of like the semantic layer, the metric layer, the metric store, the headless BI, like all these different names of like pretty much the same thing. But obviously like people were struggling with the same problems like in the past, right? And so that's also like. For example, how Looker became successful because they provide like a solution to that. So I'd love to hear like what we, from Nick, like what we did in the past, what has changed today and why we need to keep innovating on that. Hopefully like this together with like what you have in your mind will help like our listeners understand the value and how these technologies are used today. All right. Well, let's go figure out what the metrics layer is. Let's do it. Nick, welcome to the Data Stack Show. We are so excited to chat with you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Okay, uh, let's start where we always do. Give us your background and what led you to starting Transform. Yeah, definitely. So started off uh, studying math. I was always really into math. Did math competitions as a kid, kind of was a nerd and was proud of that. And uh, yeah, so I, I studied math in college, moved over to kind of applied math. So first to sciences, and then I started working on economics and kind of got more interested in the behavioral pieces out of school. So it was 2012. We were kind of coming out of this double dip recession, which I thought was really interesting in school and you know, mm -hmm. studying economics and math. I was like, just wanted to pay attention to that. And so I ended up going to BlackRock as a research analyst. I was working on a team that basically did macroeconomic research and produced signals for various investment funds. Really enjoyed that, but I also found that the feedback loops were quite long. Macroeconomics kind of moved mm -hmm. slow and post, sure. you know, post post all the kind of global meltdown just found that, you know, things were kind of calm in 2013-2014. And so I wanted something that would give me faster feedback loops. So started kind of looking around, didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but figured that it would probably be somewhere in tech. And luckily, I in 2014 landed on the data science team at Airbnb. 
I was on the growth team, worked a ton on kind of product experimentation, lots of different, you know, analysis, machine learning, pretty broad uh, at the time the, mm -hmm. the kind of data science team wasn't super specialized. And yeah, eventually I had been kind of working closely with the data tools, data infra team, and eventually decided to, to move over to the product team uh, in 2017. Did about a year as a product manager building data tools for people like me and then realized i kind of wanted to go back to data which is kind of a trend in my career just kind of veer back and forth between product work <laughs> and data work and and so went and joined a startup called branch which is a micro lender as their head of data and you know micro lender tons of of machine learning applications for loans and fraud and like all kinds sure. of different things but that ended up being being really fun. Lots of interesting kind of NLP applications. And, you know, on the side, like head of data was also responsible for a lot of the reporting and kind of figuring out how's the loan book doing. And so ended up going back to a lot of the analytical work that I was doing earlier in my career and just really enjoyed that. But realized that, you know, some of the, the stuff I was working on at Airbnb was one, really valuable. I think we were, you know, a bit ahead of the curve just because we had well, one, you know, data scale problems and two, just a bunch of resources to go and try mm. and build various tools. And uh, yeah, realized, realized that this metric space was really interesting and decided to start working on Transform kind of at the end of 2019 and just have been doing that since. Very cool. And tell us at a high level, I mean, we have so much to dig into, but tell us at a high level, what, what does Transform do? Yeah, so... Transform is working on a piece of technology called a metric store. And, you know, that is a very, I think, loaded term. I don't think people really know <laughs> what that means. So hopefully we'll hash that out. But, but we definitely will. <laughs> you know, at a very, very high level, there are kind of two really big problems with how companies and how people, how data analysts and business users interact with metrics today. One is that, you know, especially on larger teams, there tends to be this kind of challenge of defining metrics consistently. You know, that means like, is my SQL the same as yours? That means, you know, I tried to do this analysis and it's slightly different than the way that you talk about, you know, this like revenue thing or new user signups or whatever it is. And so there's this, basically this trust problem. The second kind of, you know, big piece of, of what the metric store is aimed at solving is around productivity. So it should be very, very easy to go and ask a question like, you know, what's the search to checkout conversion rate? And I, now I want to know search to, you know, checkout conversion rate by country. Like mm -hmm. those are questions that should not require knowing how to join, you know, three different tables and knowing how, you know, to filter various things or aggregate various things. Those definitions should be baked and people should be able to kind of reliably consume them around an organization. Totally. Okay, so what I want to dig a little bit deeper. So there's sort of two terms. So you said metric store, and then also this paradigm is described as a metrics layer as well, yeah. right? And so, and what's interesting about the terminology is that you think of a layer as sort of, spanning a stack or sort of spanning a lot of different things and a store as sort of a distinct entity. Can you help 
you know, sort of parse that out for us? Like, what's mm-hmm. the difference? Are they, are they different? Are they the same thing? Okay, so I'm going to start with semantic layers and I'm going to move my way up to a metric store. Uh, Love it. I think that there is in this like inner, inner bubble, let's imagine kind of like three circles that are encompassed with each other. You know, I, I think of like the, those three circles that show like machine learning, AI, I'm forgetting what the, like NLP or something is in the middle. So yep. in the middle, the like most narrow definition of in this space is a semantic layer. And so what is a semantic layer? It's basically a business representation of, you know, some kind of like company's data. So, and, you know, another word could be like an ontology. I think that when people talk about semantic layers, you know, they think about most recently, they probably think about LookML, what's within Looker. Hmm. I think, you know, there are other tools in this space. There's at scale is, you know, talks about themselves as a semantic layer. Historically, you know, business objects was probably kind of the, the biggest I mean, you tons know. of people still use it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry. Historically, maybe that's a, yeah, I shouldn't say yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, no, but it, it does feel that way, yeah. but it is amazing how many people still use it. Yeah, and so like, what does this thing do? Basically, you know, if you think about a entity relationship diagram, a bunch of different data sets, a bunch of different objects, they, you know, within them, they have measures and dimensions, things that are aggregatable, and then things that are, you know, the various kind of like group buys and filter buys, the dimensions. And they have relationships between them. And so, you know, that right there is basically the kind of semantics of what exists within a data warehouse. And it's kind of the building block that we do a lot of our analysis on top of. Whatever, you know, whatever kind of data modeling techniques you use, there's still some kind of expression of semantics there. Sure. So my definition of a metrics layer is I think that they can come with kind of very weak concepts of semantics all the way to very strong concepts of semantics. So a very weak concept of semantics in a metrics layer would be to just define some SQL, right? It's not very structured. You're not really kind of creating these like reusable abstractions. You're just writing a SQL query. On the other end of it, you have like you know, something where you are providing these measures and dimensions and relations in a very structured format and then expecting the kind of semantic layer to do a lot of the work for you to define the SQL and build it up. And the way that I think about the metrics layer is, is basically just taking whatever that, you know, semantic construct is and extending it to have a concept of a metric. So an object that is a metric. And, you know, I think that there are some like interesting conversations around what makes a metric different from a measure. Mm. Uh, So, you know, the way that I think about that is measures are basically aggregatable expressions and a metric could be as simple as an aggregatable expression. So like a count star from the transactions table is transactions and that could be a metric. But then there there are some metrics that are just a whole lot more complicated than that. And, you know, they require like a conversion metric or something like that. Mm. It requires two events. It requires an understanding of the relationship between those two events, an understanding of like the timestamp. What does that even mean within those two events? Why does it matter that those two timestamps are happening within seven days or whatever this kind of like conversion window is? And so, you know, that's kind of the, the like difference between these metrics and measures. Metrics are basically a, you know, a more kind of complicated construct so metrics layer basically is like, you know, 
the semantics of what's in the warehouse, some kind of concept of like, how do I take that semantics, turn it into some logic that can be executed to actually pull out a measurable object, a metric, and then you know some kind of querying interface. And I think if you look across the board, that's kind of what these various tools are, semantics, some kind of performance, and then querying interfaces. Metric store basically just takes that and extends it with organizational governance. You know, beyond technical governance, how do you get a bunch of people to collaborate and agree on the definition of a metric? And then how do you, you know, basically involve the various people that need to be in those conversations and kind of manage that life cycle of the metric? Mm -hmm. Okay, there are like many interesting topics and questions that I want to ask on all that stuff, Nick. But before we go there, I want to ask you something that uh, came up in my mind, like as you were uh, making the introduction of yourself. So you mentioned like two important terms as part of your work experience, right? Like you mentioned metrics. That's something that, I mean, you build a business around that. And you also mentioned signals, right? Like you said that you made, made it like very clear that when you were like in BlackRock, that your work was like to generate signals, not metrics. So. What's the difference between a signal and a metric? Yeah, so I kind of skipped over this part of my career, but so signals in my mind are features for machine learning applications. Okay. So that's, that's what I was talking about, yeah. And okay. when I was a product manager at Airbnb, what I was working on was Airbnb's feature store, which mm -hmm. is actually quite similar to a metric store, but also quite different in a few interesting ways. So... There are just different requirements for these two tools that make them, I think, you know, there's, there's quite a long way between those two tools being the same, but yeah, I'm talking about kind of machine learning applications when I say signals. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Got it. That's, that, that's a very interesting distinction. And I, it's very interesting, like that's mentioned the uh, feature stores there. Okay, cool. So let's go back to, to metrics. Uh, can we start a little bit like from a product perspective, like who is today, like the user of a metric layer, like who is the primary user who engages with transform as a platform? Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this, I think is part of the interesting thing about what the metrics layer could become. Um, mm -hmm. there is this gap between the way that data people talk about data and the way that business people talk about data. When you get a data request as a data person, it's almost always in the format of, you know, I would like these various metrics. I would like them, you know, filtered by these various dimensions. I'd like to have these various dimensions for me to slice and dice and kind of ask some questions. And then what you do with that is, you know, you go and you translate that request of, I would like these metrics at these granularities filtered in these ways to, SQL on top of tables in the warehouse. And so the, the big gap between the business person who's trying to you know, fetch some data set that they can use for their analysis and the data person is this separation between the tables and all of the kind of SQL logic that needs to be expressed to actually pull the data out and the way that people talk about data. And so I think that the point of the metrics layer is to try to bridge that gap because it is a common language. It's kind of the way that we translate a business user's needs into something that can actually be expressed as SQL as logic on top of a data warehouse. And so ultimately, I think that the end user of a metrics layer is the data analyst. Like 
the analytics engineer, the data engineer, they need to be able to define the logic on top of these tables as, you know, these, these objects, these concepts that business people can understand and can consume in downstream applications. I think that the metric store extends that a little bit, and it actually adds this piece of organizational governance where there are business owners to metrics and they should be involved in that process. And so in some ways, you know, there is actually a second user of a metric store, which is the person who is responsible for a metric or, you know, partakes in the conversation of how it should be defined. Mm-hmm. Okay. So people like using like the transfer platform can collaborate, right? Like you have the analyst, the data engineer, and also like the business user there, and they engage in the process of defining a metric. Can you like help us like take us through like this experience? Like how 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 you how you have seen it like working inside an organization? Yeah. So I think a good example is is actually, you know, I think you had Paige from Netlify on the show a few months back. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, her explanation is probably better than better than my explanation because it's a lived experience from an actual user. But, you know, just to kind of reiterate it from from our perspective, data analysts know the logic of how to express these things. Business users don't necessarily know the nuances of how to join various tables, how to, you know, filter in the correct ways, how to produce these metrics. And so the data analyst has this problem of, you know, it's a, it's a good problem to have, right? Business users are interested. They want to know the answers. And so they're basically going and asking various questions. And that is time consuming for the data analyst. It takes a lot to kind of resolve all those questions. I think that, you know, there's a, there's a good book from Tamash Tungus and Frank Bien from, from Looker that, you know, basically coins the word data breadlines. And like the gist of that is business users are kind of getting in line, waiting for their data. And so what the, you know, what the semantic layer, what this like metrics layer on top of that enables is it enables the business user to have a metric concept that they can understand, that they can request, and allows them to interact with the tool in this kind of more self-serve way. And that, you know, really was kind of the special innovation of, of like LookML and, and Looker in general, on top of, you know, historical tools that have done similar, you know, similar things in the data space. And so what that enables is basically just, I have questions about metrics. I would like to, you know, get a CSV. I'd like to get that data in Excel or in Google Sheets, or I just want to see a line chart of the metric. And I want to know, like, is this thing going up? Can I slice it in a few different ways and figure out why it's going up? That is, that's really valuable for the end business user. And it mm-hmm. solves a problem for the data analyst of having to go and kind of rewrite the same SQL over and over again, you know, try and manage that SQL, try and hash out the definitions between, you know, SQL that wasn't written by them, but is kind of presented to them as like the right number or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if I understand correctly, like you have the, uh, you have the business user, the business user comes, says like, okay, I want, let's say, to measure MRI. Okay. Yep. And we start from there. And through like going back and forth between them and the analyst, and maybe also like a data engineer, we ended up in some SQL code that can calculate yeah. the MRI, right? And 
what happens after that? Like what's, let's say we've done that. Okay. We, we have started like in the, in the, in the store, right? Like we have the definition there and we have an agreement between these three, two, because my next question is going to be what happens like when there are multiple different versions of what MRR is, but what next? Like how this information is then like reused inside the organization and where it, it, it is consumed from there. Yeah. So. I think that there should be many options yeah. and, you know, there's this word of headless BI, right? That's kind of a word that's thrown around. I think that people often conflate it with the metrics layer. I actually don't think that the metrics layer should be headless. I think that okay. it should be able to show you the metrics. It should be able to show you the value. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that the interesting piece is that, and so in some ways you could say that the metrics layer, like, you know, if it's not headless BI, it's, it's kind of overlaps with BI in, in some like, you know, small ways, but it's basically just the metric that you've defined presented on a graph. It's not the kind of free form, let me write some SQL and then produce a hundred different graph types kind of experience that people expect mm -hmm. out of BI. But so that's the first thing. I think that this tool should be able to show metrics. And I think that it, you know, you should be able to kind of build a really, really great experience for the business user to come and ask a question. And for the, you know, the data analyst to know that if that question that gets asked gets like, you know, copy and pasted as like a PNG and thrown in a deck to the board, you know, that it's going to be the right number and it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, well-received and, and not going to like lead to chaos down the road. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, I think that the difference between, you know, what we have with, with Looker today is that this should be open. And, you know, I think Looker's kind of moved in this direction a little bit more recently with, you know, the kind of promise of an integration with Tableau. I think that there are, you know, some integrations with like with G Sheets, et cetera. But I think that it shouldn't just be, you know, a, a limited set of integrations. It should be generic APIs that are open that anyone can consume these data sets from. And so I think that, you know, the, the kind of format that those APIs should expose is metrics by dimensions. That's, that's typically the, the way that the end business user asks. And I'm not saying that the business user shouldn't have to interact with an API, but I think that these tools, you know, ultimately will be pressured to build better first-class experiences with these centralized metric definitions. And, and so, you know, some, of, some tools actually already have done this. I think, you know, examples are... I think Tableau has been very open to this. I think, you know, Mode has done a good job. You know, there's a, a transform JDBC that allows Mode to directly connect to transform and allows you to ask for, you know, revenue by country by day. And it, you know, sends that request to transform and transform compiles that into the, you know, the correct SQL query and then returns that result. So that's kind of the experience that I think that we are, that we're moving towards. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's, let's go a little bit closer, like to the technical details. And we have, let's say the semantics that they are brought by the business user, the expert, let's say in this case. Yep. Then we have like also like a SQL query, which is, um, created by the analyst. So yep. how do we represent these two sources? Like how do we fuse these two sources of information into uh, a metric? And I mean that like on a technical level, right? Like, is this yeah. like a set of metadata together with the SQL query or how it looks like? Yep. So 
this, I mean, this is my favorite part of what I work on. And this is the kind of piece of product that I, you know, refuse to stop thinking about. And it, it'll probably true, be true for a long time. So the really interesting thing is how do you, how do you create these reusable abstractions, these kind of core components that allow you to you know, define the logic for a dimension, for a relationship between two tables, for a measure, and be able to kind of use those as building blocks that enable you to define a metric with, you know, in a dry way. So don't repeat yourself in a non-duplicative way. Um, and then once you have, you know, that kind of nice, clean, those nice, clean abstractions, how do you then allow a user to express express them? And so with, I'm, I'm going to talk about metric flow, which is transforms open source metrics framework, because this is the piece. This like this is what metric flow is, and and I would you know just maybe just kind of preface that with it's a component within the like broader transform you know set of products. And so what the spec within metric flow looks like is well anyone can go look at it, and we have you know some examples of defining like your Salesforce data in it and whatnot, but. It's a YAML file that basically has some SQL expressed in it. So you can point it at a table. You basically say, you know, core.transactions is the name of the table. And I would like to define a measure that is, you know, the sum of one or like a count star, like a count of how many transactions have occurred. And then I would like to define some dimensions, which are, you know, maybe the payment type, the store that the transaction occurred in, you know, et cetera. And so I've now kind of captured the semantics of one table. We then take you know, various identifiers that exist in different tables, and that allows us to do join resolution between two different data sets. So if I have a transactions table and a users table, I can go and define various dimensions that belong to a user, like maybe their signup method, you know, various, various kind of dimensions that might exist in that table. And then when an API request comes into Transform, it says, okay, I have a transactions table. I have a users table. This is you know, the user ID, which is a foreign key in the transactions table. This is the user ID, which is a primary key in the users table. And so if I ask for you know, how many transactions occurred by the user's signup method, then we would basically go and construct a query, which is just SQL. And it's just using the kind of logic that's defined in these two YAML files to say, I need to take the transactions table, I need to join the users table, and I need to aggregate transactions to the level of the user's signup method, and then I need to return that to the end user. Mm-hmm. And so that whole process of the spec, the like construction of various kind of you know, joins and all of the logic, and then the rendering of that logic down into you know, a specific SQL dialect is what is metric flow. Okay. So if I understand correctly, so the user does not really have to define SQL, right? This is something that's, it's pretty much, let's say, generated uh, by the system, correct? Yeah. So, you know, one thing that you can kind of imagine is the ideal input into a framework like this is nice, clean, normalized tables. Uh, that being said, we have done so much work to make it so that you can put in a raw event log or a partially denormalized aggregated table, you know, you can put in a very wide range of tables, but 
basically the end user is just telling us what is in the data warehouse. And there might be a little bit of SQL, right? Like maybe you want to take a you know, number of transactions that a user has had and define them as a power user if they've had more than trans 10 transactions. You could go and write, you know, a case when you know number of transactions is greater than 10 than power user else, you know, regular user. And so you can express this, this, you know, SQL, and that SQL will then be reused across every single time that you go and request that dimension. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's that's interesting. And Okay, so what dialects do you support right now? I mean, with what kind of like database systems like users can interact with the framework? Yeah, so within within Metricflow, you know, th this is a big reason why we open sourced it. One is what I'm talking about is it I mean it's a huge engineering project. Like one, you know, I think that we've we've been thinking about this for most of the last eight years. And so, you know, it felt right to kind of put that technology out in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, but two, it's really ambitious. Like the idea that you can take a bunch of different data sources and then be able to do like multiple hops of join resolution to determine what's on the left side and the right side of these joins to be able to kind of like freely traverse the warehouse is a huge project. And so, you know, what can you do with it? Well, you can basically ask for any metric and dimension where there is a join path between them. And so if you think about it, like, what would you use that for? Well, I mean, you can ahead of time construct data marts in a programmatic way on top of a, you know, well, well-defined kind of set of abstractions, set of logic, where you've defined your logic in a very dry way, and you've then programmatically generated all of the different data marts that you would want to build. So mm. the like, dream here is that you can take what would be you know typically a very deep dag like a dag that has many layers of data transformation and actually flatten that to i'm going to use my kind of data transformation framework you know something like dbt or just kind of you know expression of sql or spark or whatever you want to use to clean up my data sets and then from there I am going to basically just expose these nice clean objects to a metrics layer to this kind of historically Airbnb has sometimes referred to Minerva as a denormalization engine such that you can define that logic in one place, programmatically generate all of your data marts, and even dynamically generate data marts from downstream querying interfaces. So that's, mm -hmm. I mean, that's like a huge, huge, you know, step from the world that we exist in today. It's yeah. actually the world that, you know, a few large companies are existing in right now. So this is kind of what LinkedIn's unified metrics platform does. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is absolutely what Minerva does at Airbnb. Okay. Yeah. And, oh, all right. So we have like a huge project here with amazing potential. It's open source. So how do you... Uh, hope that like people are going to engage with it. Like, what kind of contribution from the community out there we are looking for? Yeah, so I think that there are lots of ways to engage. You know, frankly, what we're trying to solve is like denormalization, which is a non-trivial task. And when you think about like mm -hmm. what is involved there, you need to be able to input any kind of underlying you know data structures. So 
you need to be able to support SCD tables and, you know, partially aggregated tables and, you know, raw event logs. And a lot of the work has been done to be able to support those types of data sets. But there's, you know, always new modeling techniques. There's always kind of nuances there. You know, there, there are lots of kind of features where we'll be opening more and more GitHub issues, but also generally we would love, you know, more, more issues. And then, you know, beyond that, I think that there are different support, you know, there's support for different data warehouses. So today, Metricflow, you know, we started off with Snowflake, Redshift, BigQuery. But, you know, next on the, next on the list is Databricks, Spark, you know, Presto, Trino, you know, MySQL, Postgres. These are all, you know, the kind of the key ones that we really need to support soon. And then there's kind of, you know, a long tail of really interesting data warehouses that you could support with Metricflow. The other thing is new metric types. And I think that this is this is like where Metricflow really shines. I think that previous semantic layers have kind of struggled to define complicated metric types. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are there are like various strained ways of kind of defining complicated metric types in something like LookML. And it should be very, very easy to basically define a function within Metricflow to support some new metric type. So you know, an example is like a conversion window. You basically need to point it at two data sets. You need to say, or a conversion metric. You need to be able to point it at two data sets. Say, these are the timestamps in these two data sets. This is the conversion window. And then, you know, true, false, do I want multiple conversions to be able to happen within a window? That's like effectively the inputs into a function that could be a conversion metric. And that's kind of how the framework is designed. That's actually not a metric that we support today. but it's obvious that we should support that. So those are the kinds of conversions or you know features that I think would be really helpful. There's also optimizations. So we're trying to render both very legible and very performant SQL. And so we need to be able to basically optimize the queries as much as possible to make them as efficient and readable as possible. And we've, we've done some work there, but there's more that can be done. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that like I wanted to ask you, which is about performance, right? Like a lot of work is getting done like by from like DBAs to analysts to data engineers, like pretty much everyone like trying to optimize the queries that they have in order like to either reduce latencies or reduce the resources that are needed, right? But this is part of like working with let's say like their own SQL query that exists out there uh, and it's a pretty complicated job but many times like requires like a lot of like deep knowledge of the database system mm-hmm. right so how do you see like solving this problem because and that's a feeling that i have right uh i mean there are like two extremes one is like okay let's let the user control completely like the query into whatever they want which is what they are doing today right there's the other extreme, which says, let's make the whole experience completely opaque, auto-generate like the queries. You don't have like um, any way like to, as a user to do something with it, but we will do the best we can like to optimize, right? And my feeling is that usually the optimal solutions are like somewhere in between, right? Like you can't really be a system that optimizes like in the best possible way for its for every possible query and uh, metric and use case out there. But at the same time, like you want to add more like usability there by automating as much as it can be, you can do. So 
how can this, how, how did you see like from a youth, like from developer yeah. experience, like this being delivered at the end? Well, maybe this might be the optimist in me, but I think I, I think I might disagree with that, you know, okay. that you can't create something that's, that's like perfectly optimized. And I can't take credit for this. Like this is, this is my co-founder, Paul, but I think that the design of metric flows is, is really built around the idea that we can build both very optimal and very legible SQL. Mm -hmm. uh, and the way that we do that is historically all of the versions of these metrics frameworks that I've worked on in the past have been these kinds of like template based, you know, like, let me define some macro and then let me, you know, basically wrap some other macro where I'm consuming from some like SQL that's, you know, within kind of a from statement and I'm doing some additional transformation on it. And there are kind of two conflated problems there. One is how do I express the logic? And the other is how do I build like the SQL? Um, mm -hmm. And so the way that Metriflow works is you basically create a query plan, which takes in the semantics and the API requests. So what's in the warehouse and what does the end user want? It then creates a data flow plan, which is, you know, read from this table, filter this thing, aggregate to this level, read from this other table, join these two things, you know, aggregate to this other level, et cetera. And you can create, you know, complicated query plans from that. And so you can really build like any metric type, you can build quite complicated queries uh, off mm -hmm. of this, which is, you know, when I talk about trying to solve the problem of denormalization, that's roughly what I mean. And from that, you can then optimize that query plan. So if you have, you know, overlapping pieces of read from this table, filter this thing, aggregate this thing, well, mm -hmm. I can pull from two different parts of, you know, a kind of a data flow plan, like this DAG of operations and put that into a CTE or something like that, and then read from that in the rest of those operations. So you start with this very flexible, you know, way of kind of building a structure of like logic that needs to be expressed to get to what the user is requesting. And then you go and you optimize that. And then you take a DB specific render that can render to, you know, the nuances of each of the different databases. Mm -hmm. And you render this optimized query plan into that database dialect. And so with that, like, you can create pretty darn legible and like pretty performant SQL. It's, you know, I think it's similar in some ways to what Apache Calcite is, um, uh -huh. but, you know, written in Python and a fairly different approach. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's super interesting, actually. What is spending a lot of time like with the team at uh, Trino right now talking about performance and optimizations and it's an interesting problem. It's a big problem and it's something that, I mean, th there are always trade doors, right? Uh, and actually uh, it's kind of interesting because us as like a query engine, like we approach like the problem a little bit like from the different uh, side, like. We are trying like to figure out, for example, what workloads we should consider as like more important right now and try like to optimize the whole system, like to deliver like more performance there. Uh, so yeah, anyway, I'd love to chat more about the performance part, to be honest, but I think we can do that also like offline. Yeah, me too. We can find another time. Yeah. 
all right. So do you see, uh, do you see any kind of like, I mean, I, I understand that like inside the company, we want to define like a very good metric about MRR, for example, we all agree upon this and like we, we use it, right? First of all, how easy it is for this to happen inside the organizations, because humans are involved, right? And like humans have different ways that they interpret information and semantics come mainly from them, right? So let's talk a little bit about that. Do you see like, uh, cases where MRR might be multiple times, like defined inside the same organization? Do you see like consensus, like at shift at the end? And where are the limits between like technology and where like the human factor? Stuff. Yeah, I like this question a lot, especially based, you know, on what we've been chatting about for the last 10, 15 minutes, because ultimately all the things that we just chatted about, you know, very cool, very interesting, very fun, like it doesn't really matter unless like the organization can agree on a metric and actually, you know, connect it to the places where people want to do analysis or people want to consume it. You know, a business user really only cares about rendering like legible or performance SQL if their metric comes back to them really, really fast and it's the correct metric, right? And yeah. so this is this is kind of the fun part where like the technology should just disappear under the hood. And I think that, you know, there there are a few different pieces around lifecycle management, but maybe just at a high level, like what does the life cycle of a metric look like? So you have the definition of a metric, right? Here is the technical definition can we get everyone to agree on, you know, philosophically, like, what is this thing? Just ignoring the like SQL expression, you know, is this what MRR means? Are we filtering the right things? Are we including the right things? Does everyone know what that is? And in my mind, you know, there is a long, long way to go there. I don't think that we have solved that problem. And I think that if anything, it's a little bit organization specific, but I think that the way that we're doing it right now, which is you know, either nothing, maybe an email at best, and, and well, maybe at best like a Google sheet or something like that, that has, you know, all of the like human readable definitions of some of these metrics is not enough. And so I think that, you know, the important piece there is, is kind of, I think this, this is like an open conversation. I think more people should talk about how to get this done. Airbnb, you know, I, I was kind of, I saw how it was done there, and I think that that worked at that organization. Airbnb's talked about this system that they've built out now called Midas, which is like, how do we create a, a metric, define a business owner, define a technical owner, put a stamp on it, you know, let everyone know that this is a Midas-approved metric. This is tier one. Everyone should trust it. It's you know, everyone has agreed on the definition, and here is the you know. Here's like the form that was filled out that has the the human readable description as well as the technical logic. But I think that, you know, I don't think that that's going to work at every company. Like, I think that generalizing human process is way, way harder than generalizing technical, you know, technical solutions. Uh, <laughs> and we have some, we have some opinions here and we've tried to express those in our prod product around kind of ownership and business and, and non-technical owners, tiering this like approval process to kind of mark a metric as stamped and accurate. But frankly, there's, there's a lot more work that needs to be done there. You know, beyond that, you get to iteration. How are you tracking versions of metrics? Can you construct historical versions of metrics? 
or do they kind of disappear once you evolve because the underlying tables are wiped away? You know, do you save a snapshot of that metric before you wipe away the table and kind of keep that in an archive somewhere? There's a lot of kind of process there that I would say we haven't even scratched the surface of or like archival, you know, hey, this metric's not useful. People should not come to this in seven months and say, and like try and do some analysis on it because nobody's looked at this table. It's not even supported anymore. You know, mm-hmm. this isn't the right definition. The, the one technical piece that I would say is how do you agree on an MRR definition? Well, you know, getting business people and getting technical people to all, you know, get in a room and talk about it is probably the best way to, to get that started. But at least technically, our framework doesn't allow you to define two metrics with the same name. And every metric has a, you know, a name in the code, which is, you know, some snake case like MRR underscore, you know, new users or something like that. But you can't redefine that thing. So there's at least protections against defining something with the exact same name. So, you know, I could have MRR new users and I could have MRR, you know, first time purchasers or something like that. And ultimately, you know, those two things will show up as probably different tiers and different owners. And like, hopefully we'll start a conversation where we can at least see that there are two different definitions. Yep. 100%. All right. That's all from my side for now. I mean, I wish we had another hour chatting, but I completely monopolized the conversation and I have to give the stage to Eric. So Eric, all yours. No, this is such a great conversation. So question for you, Nick. Yeah. Uh, Following along on what we just said, uh, I'm thinking about our listeners who are maybe environments where metrics are changing really fast, Mm. right? And so uh, maybe let's just imagine a world where you can easily get agreement on MRR, right? Even if you agree on it, like everyone agrees that it sort of changes like next quarter because the business model changes, right? Or sure, finish, sure. Whatever, right? And so, I mean, that, of course, that happens a lot with sort of early stage, you know, earlier stage companies. And so, you know, the world that you described, you know, at Airbnb where, yeah. you know, there's sort of agreement on this and, and all this infrastructure around it, you know, and sort of living in the world of Minerva and sort of, you know, having all of that. There are so many companies where the business model's changing, they're, you know, whatever, acquiring companies, adding new product lines, et cetera. I just love to know the way that you think about that, right? Because if you think about the sort of singular case of a single, you know, a business unit with a single metric for MRR, great, that's fine, right? But if that's changing a lot, how do you think about managing that? Okay, yeah, so... I mean, I worked at Airbnb when it was a little bit smaller, you know, 2014, you know, product team was maybe a hundred people. And I I saw it evolve to product team was probably, I don't know, 1500 something people. So I saw a lot of growth there, a lot of evolution, lots of definitions of new metrics, lots of iteration. But there is, there is a set of metrics which remain relatively stable, right? Like you're not going to completely unless you completely pivot your business, right? Which is truly a startup yeah. move. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I, I worked at a startup afterwards and I saw like new products get launched and we only had a few kind of stable metrics. And now I, you know, work at a startup, like we have our own metrics to find and transform it. <laughs> They're evolving yeah, you're very quickly. Uh, yeah. They evolve very quickly. So I do live this. But the thing I would say is that 
there are some metrics which are stable and they're very important. So, you know, an example for us is the number of queries that are issued against the metrics framework from any source, from, you know, from our Tableau integration, from our mode integration, from Google Sheets, sure. from within our UI, from within the Python API, et cetera. Like that's a metric that we track. And it's very unlikely that that metric is going to change no matter what we ship or, you know, whatever we're working on. Yeah. And we consider that a tier one metric, which basically means that it is stable and everyone in the company should feel safe consuming it. At the same time, we, you know, launch new product features and we want to understand, you know, how people are, are, you know, consuming those features. And so, you know, we'll get some, you know, some new set of events and we'll define a tier three metric on top of that, which basically says, hey, no idea if this is good, but like we wanted to put it on a graph. We just wanted to look at it, right? Yeah. And like, maybe we'll see a dip in weird ways or we'll do some, you know, querying in the future that tells us it's wrong in some way. But basically, you know, that allows us to kind of track the new things with the old things and keep them separate. Sure. I think that tiering is probably the best solution to this versus, you know, just throwing everything in a big folder and like That's... sorting through it every time you have a question. No, it makes total sense. Okay, so that leads me to my next and last question. I actually lie a lot when I say that. So there may be one more, but we're Thanks. close to the buzzer here. So this has been a concept that's fascinated me for a long time. So on some level, like if you take, say, an e-commerce business, right? Mm -hmm. The set of core metrics that don't change are very, very similar like across, across the them, yep. right? I mean, the user flow can essentially be, you know, broken down into, you know, a handful of touch points that, mm -hmm. you know, are essentially the same, even if they have different names. Do you envision a future where you can essentially have a metric store that maps to your business model almost out of the box, right? And so when you ad adjust metrics in that context, you're really almost adjusting sort of components of the semantic layer and the way that you name things, right? But in reality, the, the, the semantics that you need to define are pretty much mostly known quantities, right? I mean, you could argue the same for say like a B2B SaaS that has a freemium model or whatever, right? Yeah. I mean, these are known business models, known touch points, generally known metrics. Do you sort of envision a world where you sort of have out of the box, like this is sort of your your metric store and like you don't really have to do a lot of definition. So I really do like that idea. And, you know, I, I like, unfortunately the answer is, you know, as like most of the time is with questions like this, like it kind of depends, right? <laughs> sure. Like, unfortunately, and the, what it depends on is how you want to measure your business, right? Like how you want to understand it. And I, I think that, er, you know, every business is unique. And, you know, that leads to, you know, various nuances that like lead to different definitions of MRR and et cetera. But I do think that at the core, there is a set of metrics where if somebody says, hey, I'm an e-commerce business, then, you know, we should be able to say, okay, here are 20 metrics that you probably want to track. And you probably have some tables that look like this. And so let's put them in and let's kind of have this like boilerplate template for e-commerce businesses. I think that would be very cool. And I think that that's an interesting way, you know, especially with what I said about 
I think that the metrics layer should be able to visualize data at like a very basic level. It should be able to show the value of the metric. Mm. I think that's a very interesting thing where you could imagine, you know, an e-commerce business just getting off the ground and exporting a bunch of data to the warehouse and then basically having the 20 most common metrics that they should be tracking, you know, visualized for them. Like that's a great way to start off as a business versus kind of the situation that we have now of like dump it all in, you know, munge it around, like it's a lot of work. And even kind of beyond that, like if you're using something like a, you know, Shopify, Salesforce, like, et cetera, they produce produce some kind of nice clean data sets. So I also like the idea of basically predefining those metrics on top of those data sets and basically, you know, having all of the kind of getting started work done, done for you. Yeah. Super interesting. I, for a while, I've had this sort of, I, don't, I wouldn't say like a dream, but like imagining basically running a Terraform script and it spits out like not only like a stack with all of the tools that you need for a business model, yeah, like the metric and sort of the table structures and all that sort of stuff. I mean, that's, I guess, technically possible, but it's super interesting to think about that, right? It's almost like stack in yeah. a box with the metrics layer. Totally. And you're off to the races. So I, I wrote this blog post a few weeks ago where I kind of talk about the metrics layer as, you know, infrastructure as code for your data warehouse, right? Like, how do you go and define all of these metrics on top of the tables that are landing in the warehouse and then programmatically generate all of the data marks? That, in my mind, is like very similar to, yep. you know, Terraform, Pulumi, et cetera, yeah. but for your data warehouse. And the yeah. cool thing there is like, you make a change to a single metric and it's showing up in five different, you know, data marts, like boom, that change cascades into all of the places where it's being consumed, which I think is like the really powerful part about thinking about the metrics layer as a denormalization engine to kind of tie it back to our the technical talk earlier. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we are at the buzzer. Nick, this has been so wonderful. We learned so much. I wish we had another hour. So we're gonna have to get you back on the show. Cool. Can't wait. Thanks so much for having me. Costas, I love talking to all these smart people that we have on the show. And one of my big takeaways was um, the discussion around, and I would love your thoughts on this too, sort of the legibility and performance of the SQL queries that Transform generates. And he was very explicit about the trade-off there and how it's a pretty hard problem to balance both legibility and performance. And I just appreciated that he multiple times sort of stopped and you know almost reflected on the difficulty of thinking through that problem. You know, and whenever anyone is you know acknowledges up front the difficulty of a problem and sort of reflects on it, I I know that they're really thinking deeply about it. But that's actually more your area of expertise. So what did you think? The thinking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't necessarily mean that. I meant <laughs> performing <laughs> queries <laughs> on the on on data infrastructure, not in your own head. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Well, I, I have to add something to what you said about Nick, though. I mean, it's, I, I totally agree with you about like getting in contact like with all these like smart people, and it's, uh, obviously, like the people, the team in Transform is like very talented and smart group of people. But what I really loved with our discussions with, with him is also how passionate he is about the problems that he's, he's going after. 
which yep. I think is like, let's say what, when you have this passion together with like this, like, let's say smart, like these amount of smart people, I think something good will come out of it for sure. Yep. So, having said that, uh, I mean, yeah, like there are like many, many trade doors, uh, that, uh, these technologies are going like to face and have like to decide. And that's what makes like the problem that Nick is going after, like really, really hard. There are trade doors that have to do with like how people interact with each other, because there is like a very strong human factor there, uh, and many different like personas, for example, involved in using the product. Um, and obviously like many trade doors. Uh, the technology itself, right? Uh, balancing all this and finding like, and doing like the right trade dose is what I think is going to decide who's going to win in this space. And, uh, it's one of the reasons that I'm really looking into like these technologies because it's like really fascinating to see like how people can build experiences and products around such complex problems. I agree. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Tell a friend if you enjoy the show, ask them to subscribe. We always like new listeners and we will catch you on the next Data Stack Show. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Data Stack Show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app to get notified about new episodes every week. We'd also love your feedback. You can email me, Eric Dodds, at eric at datastackshow.com. That's E-R-I-C at datastackshow.com. The show is brought to you by Rudderstack, the CDP for developers. Learn how to build a CDP on your data warehouse at rudderstack.com.